Well, good morning, Northridge. How's everyone doing? Awesome. Well, it's so good to be back. We are in week three of Stronger. If you remember week one, I was wearing a massive backpack because we wanted to get stronger in forgiveness. We didn't want to carry all of this unnecessary weight. And by the way of Jesus, we can follow his example and forgive quickly. That's a solo sport. That's on us. And then last week, we all stood up, and if you weren't here, uh, maybe you heard about it, but we screamed Rock Shazak a number of times and scared our kids. Uh, but it was about us not being strong and courageous in our own strength, but being strong and courageous in the God that is with us and for us. And today, I, I want us to talk about another area in which I believe is critical is mission critical for us to get stronger in, and that is humility. Now, nobody wants to be humble. We wanna win. Nobody wants to be humble. Uh, we wanna be great. And yet, when you flip through the New Testament and you see the way of Jesus, he was the model of humility. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna unpack a few verses from 1 Peter. Now, Peter was a disciple of Jesus, a student of Jesus. He followed Jesus. And now he's writing to a church that's dispersed, that's experiencing suffering, persecution. They are just all around. And for many of them, they're looking at throwing in the towel. And Peter wants to remind these disciples about the importance of humility. So to do that, we're gonna get our John Madden on and we're gonna fire up the telestrator. Now, <laughs> says this, 1 Peter chapter five, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Right there, that's like humility. Listen to wisdom. Then it goes on, it says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So look at what, what Peter writes. To all of the church who's hearing this, every single one of you, that would be all of us in this room, as disciples of Jesus, he says, I want you to clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves with humility. Now, you've got to understand with ancient Near East eyes what you, this would mean. You remember in John chapter 13, the, the disciples, they're, they're eating around this table and all of a sudden it's the Last Supper and Jesus gets up. And when you read this passage, it says like he, he puts on this robe. And, and literally, he puts on this like servant's apron. And he puts it on, he fills up a basin of water, he grabs a towel, and then he goes one by one to each disciple and begins to wash their feet. Peter saw this up close. Peter witnessed his rabbi, his Lord, his savior, modeling the theology of limbo, which is how low can you go? And he saw Jesus do this. And if Jesus did this, the invitation for every one of us is to clothe yourselves in humility, to put on that apron. But there was another kind of garment that most of us would want to clothe ourselves in. And it wasn't one of humility. It was one of honor. I, I remember experiencing some clothing of honor. I, I was in college 
I, I grew up in Ventura County, California, went to school in Orange County, and, and in my college, we were having a, a really big, like, formal event, and I needed a haircut, and so I, I went to Supercuts, but there was too long of a wait, so I went to Great Clips, uh, there was too long of a wait, and I remembered there was a thing that I had never been to before, a salon. Now, I'd been to a saloon before, I had never been to a salon and so I remembered it. I was like, oh, I bet there's no line there. Maybe they do walk-ins. And as I walk into this salon, I said, hey, I, I need a haircut. And the, the person just sort of nodded like, okay, that's kind. Um, and he's, I said, do you, do you take walk-ins? And he goes, it's kind of expensive. And I was like, wow, okay. Well, how much is it? He said, $30. And I said, that, yeah, that is kind of expensive. Um, but I, I got it. I'll pay right now. He said, okay, um, but can you fill this out? And I, he hands me a clipboard, and it looks like it's a job application. I'm like, I'm not looking for a job. I'm just trying to get a haircut. He goes, no, no, no. You fill this out so our stylist knows what to talk to you about. So I'm like, okay, this is awesome. So I just start answering the most bizarre answers possible. Finally, they call my name, and I get ushered into the salon's holy of holies. They bring me to the very far back. And as I'm walking back there, there's this woman, and she, she begins to tell me, like, here's what you're going to do. You're going to walk into this room, and you're going to take off your shirt, and there's going to be a smock in there. And I, I said, a smock? And she said, yes, a smock. And it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a black smock, and it's hanging up there. And you're going to put that shirt on, and then you're going to come out, and we are going to wash your hair, and we're going to style your hair, and we're going to cut your hair, and you're going to be good to go. I said, okay. So I walk into this closet and there's one black schmock hanging up so I take my shirt off and I put it on but it's it's very tight it's very small the buttons are on the wrong side which is a little bit awkward but I, I only can button it to like right here and it's just open and it's tight and I, I, I begin to think this is so weird but it's Orange County so I'm just gonna walk out and have some fun in this bougie salon and so I sort of like I walk out and I just go, fat man in a small man smock. And I start dancing. And this woman's like, I see her face and I'm just, I'm going for it. And all of a sudden, the most adorable 70 year old something woman with curlers in her hair sees me through the mirror, turns her chair and goes, what's that young man doing wearing my shirt? And, and they're like, you were supposed to put the schmock on. I said, this is the only thing that was hanging on, hanging up. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility. See, sometimes the truth is we don't want to wear the apron. We don't want to be servants. We don't want to actually serve another person, our spouse, our neighbors, our coworkers, our in-laws, our family members. We want to have honor. We want to be respected. And what Peter's trying to get the Jewish people, these disciples who have like converted from Judaism to Christianity, what he's trying to get them to see is simply this. You have a choice. And there's a culture that is looking for honor and prestige. But the way of Jesus is the way of the apron, the way of humility. And he goes, here's the thing though. When you actually clothe yourselves with humility. You put that apron on towards one another because, and here's the reason, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I mean, if you ever want to know what the opposing team of God is, 
It's people who are proud. It's people who don't need God. It's people who, I can do this in my own strength. People who act like they have it all together. If you want to know what the opposing team is to God, it's arrogance. It's pride. It's proud. It's like, I got it all together. I don't need help. But hear this. The people who go low, it says this, God will show favor to the humble. He will pour out heaven's blessings to the humble. He will show his favor, his appreciation, his delight, his profound blessings to the people who choose to clothe themselves in humility. And he goes, so humble yourselves. This is our choice. There's a lot of things that God can do, but our decision as Christ followers is to put that apron on is to humble ourselves. And look at this. Therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Now, when you hear this, you might go, oh, that's a fascinating passage. But to Jewish mindset, this takes you back to the Exodus story. When the Hebrew people were living in slavery and oppression, and God called Moses because he had heard the cries of the Hebrew people saying, God, please rescue us, help us. And God, through Moses, Moses goes to Pharaoh, the leader of like the most powerful nation, Egypt, at that day. And he demands that Pharaoh let the Hebrew people go worship God. But Pharaoh says no. And so God sends 10 plagues. And if I had more time, I'd break this down for you. But each of those plagues goes after a specific Egyptian deity. And after each plague, it's like the heart of Pharaoh gets hardened. And literally, what you see is God looking at the humble and lifting them up out of slavery, lifting them up out of oppression, them saying, we need help, and God raising them up. And the truth is, God wants to do that for each of us. And when we act like we have it all together, it's hard for God to work with that. But when we act like people who put on that apron, who say, I need help, I'm willing to surrender and wave that white flag, this is where God breaks in. And what I want to do is I want to help you see how you can have humility in three areas of your life today. The first is the humility of the heart. And I'm going to talk about this in, in view of this kind of idea, how God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And in Latin, the word for pride or proud or arrogant or self-strength is, is this word hubris. But then there's this other word, humus. And, and this is a beautiful word. It's where we get the word humility, but it, but it literally means from the earth, from the soil. And if you think about this, when it gets to God even creating humanity, he shaped and formed the first man from the dust of the ground. And Adam, or Adam, literally means in Hebrew, from the dirt. And really, when you begin to get connected to the soil of this earth, and you say, man, I'm supposed to be so low because I came from dirt, you open yourself up to being the kind of person that God can do his best work. But here's the thing. I began to think about this kind of picture of humus versus hubris, and I realized, for many of us, it's easier for us 
to kind of live like we have it all together. And I think of hubris as like cement. Maybe you have these conversations with your spouse or with a, with a family member or a coworker, and all of a sudden they say something and your heart gets hardened. Sometimes maybe they provoke you with a question or a trigger or, or something in your life. And, and instead of engaging that with humility and listening and learning more and getting a little bit more introspective, we shut it down. And the truth is, when we don't show that kind of humility, when we don't put that apron of humility on and begin to kind of cultivate, man, what can I learn? What can I grow in this? We prevent ourselves from growing. And the truth is, when we prevent it once, it, begins, it becomes easier to prevent it another time and another time. And this is what we see with Pharaoh. His heart hardened. And you got to think about this. The miracles of God, the plagues that were happening in the Old Testament and Pharaoh's heart still got hardened again and again and again. And the same thing happens with us. For some of us, we are so afraid to admit we need help. For some of us, we are so afraid to be honest and human. And literally what happens is almost this snowball effect of hardening. And it gets harder and harder for us to wave that white flag. The truth is there is a better way. And that humility, that, that humus, that, that idea from the earth, the topsoil, Man, the invitation is that we would be so low to the ground that our hearts would be the soil that God could just cultivate the fruits of the Spirit, that his seeds of truth and grace and peace could reign supreme. And here's the concept. Every one of you in every conversation, you bring these two. You can have a heart that is concrete and cement with your spouse, or you can have a heart that is actually fertile to cultivating to growing. And the truth is, some of us, we kind of vacillate between the two. But the most healthy, sincere disciples and Christ followers are people who consistently choose to go low, to learn. And I'll, I'll tell you this, humble people, they don't take themselves so seriously. Humble people can laugh at themselves. Humble people have surrendered to the fact that they have to be perfect and have it all together. Humble people know that they have not yet arrived. So humble people understand that they are in process and God's gonna use the people around them to help them become who they need to become. I'll tell you one example. I was leading a Bible study for the Chicago Bears the past year and um, I'm not going to take credit for them doing so well, but maybe I should. That's pride. But like, here's the thing. We were, were gathering for dinner one time. There's a few of us, and we're sitting at this, this restaurant, when all of a sudden this waitress comes up. This waitress is, is kind of interacting with us, and then she looks at me, and she goes, you, you're on TV, aren't you? And at this time, my hair was a little bit longer, and I was like, me? I'm not on TV. You mean these guys? She goes, no, no, no. I've seen you on TV before. And at this moment, one of the bears looks at her and goes, he is on TV. This is Joel Osteen. <laughs> and, and in this moment, I thought to myself, that is really funny. And then another one goes, that's not, that's not Joel Osteen, that's Tim Allen. 
And I was like, what? Like, and they just started just ripping me. And literally, here's my answer. In my head, I literally thought to myself, well, I could go cement right now and come back with a little phrase and say, oh, seriously, you're going to come at me? How many games did you win the year before? Right? Or I could laugh at myself because it's funny and I don't have to take myself so seriously. See, I think for so many of us, we take ourselves so seriously and people are having fun and we just get sensitive and we got to feel like I got to protect this image or this brand or this idea of like who I am. And all of a sudden someone just makes a joke or someone just kind of says something and it just shatters us. And I'm realizing something, man, humble people, they just know, all I'm trying to do is go deep with Jesus. I, I realize this, and, and maybe you know this phrase, but it, it, I think that if you talk to any sense of scholar, they'll tell you that there are these essentials for spiritual growth. And, and the first one is just to stay humble. If you want to grow and take that next step in your spiritual journey, I mean, they're going to tell you to stay humble. The second one that they're going to tell you, and I, I, you, you talk to any person, any pastor, any scholar, they're going to tell you this. First one, stay humble. Second one, stay humble. They're, they're just going to tell you, man, if you stay humble, your, your, your life is going to cultivate. And the third one is just obviously stay humble. And, and here, here it is, is. It's so easy to forget because so many of us just want to win or be right. And in doing that, what happens in our heart is we become proud and we end up boxing out God. And I don't think any of us want that, but literally that's what we end up doing and then we live our life in our own strength and not being the kind of humble people. The truth is when you live your life in your own strength, there's a great phrase and it's simply this, pride comes before the fall. And when you do that, it won't work out for you. When your heart becomes filled with cement and hardened, it won't work out for you. It won't work out with your relationships, with your spouse, with your kids, with someone you're dating, with your coworkers. Pride will always lead to a fall. But here's the truth that the Bible teaches us that Jesus models is this. Humility comes before honor. Pride comes before the fall, but when you put that apron on and you have a posture in your heart of humility, this is what God does. He will lift you up. He will bring you honor. He will bring you because you are modeling what his son did. And what did his son do? His son was at the right hand of the father and he looked at creation and said, I got to go down there, dad. And he ended up leaving all of the prestige, all of the power, all of the glory, angels who worshiped him in heaven and said, give me a body, give me flesh, give me blood, let me walk on this earth. And he emptied himself of every single advantage or power that he had. And he made himself willing to put that apron on and that apron led him to the cross. And he went to the cross for me, he went to the cross for you, he went to the cross for us in our brokenness, in our sin. And he took it upon himself. And what did God do? You read this in Philippians chapter two. He lifted him up. So that whenever anybody says the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord and supreme over all. This is what God does. And when you surrender to that reality, 
You surrender to the idea that humility in your heart is having this topsoil to follow and imitate the life of Jesus. So if Jesus put that apron on, so will I. And if Jesus was willing to carry the cross, so will I. Because I see Jesus and what God did with him, he wants to do with me, he wants to do with you. Pride comes before the fall, but friends, humility comes before the honor. And God wants to bestow that honor on each of us. First way to live humility is have the humility of the heart. The second is humility of the mind. And we'll talk about this. The next passage, 1 Peter 5, 7, right after this sense of close yourselves in humility, it's like Peter changes gears. And all of a sudden he goes straight for the mind and he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And, and you gotta understand, Peter's a fisherman. He's used to casting nets. He understands the idea of throwing out a net and literally bringing in fish. And so this concept of us as disciples living in a world filled with brokenness and ambiguity and, and suffering, he's saying, hey, all of those anxious thoughts, cast them on the one who actually cares for you. But what is anxiety? Anxiety turns our peace into pieces. I want you to understand this. There is a growing epidemic of anxiety in our culture. And what we were meant to live in the present as one, as whole, as sacred, for many of us, we find ourselves feeling fractured and splintered, puzzle pieces all scattered around. And the truth is because we're trying to hold it all together. And this is why, this is why Peter adds this connected to humility. Because for many of us, our anxiety comes because we are trying to hold it all together in our own strength. For some of you in this room, you have an addiction. For some of you in this room, there is financial duress. For some of you, your marriage is like hanging by a thread. For some of you, there has been such pressure at work and you're feeling the puzzle pieces and you're trying to hold it in you. But when you have humility of the mind, you can cast that fear, you can cast that addiction, you can cast the reality of your actual life on the one who cares for you because you believe that in him and through him there is healing. Now, I had this professor in college, he was amazing. He looked like Kenny Rogers, which was amazing. But his name was Nolfel Staten, and he used to be the air traffic controller of O'Hare's airport. And he would speak in class, and, and he would talk about the power that he had when he, as the air traffic controller, could decide who landed and which planes took off. And he said one of my favorite things to do was some plane wasn't keeping up with the orders, and I would just divert that plane to Milwaukee. And I was like, it's because of you. And, and I, now as I'm getting on planes more and more and flying, like I, I just thought of this picture that, that I saw recently. And, and when I saw this picture, I started thinking, you know what, it's true. Like I choose what lands and takes off in my brain. 
I choose what anxious thoughts I allow to land in my mind in the time that I give it. And then I started thinking, wow, maybe this concept of casting our anxiety in the one who cares for us, maybe when that plane is trying to land all of that financial anxiety or maybe that, all of that pressure, all of that kind of thing that wants to turn my life into pieces, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to divert it to Columbus, Ohio. I'm going to send it away to Tuscaloosa. I am going to send it to East Lansing. I just want it out of my brain. I don't want the negative thoughts. I don't want the pieces. We control that, friends. And what Peter's saying is when you have the humility of the mind, you understand, oh, there are areas in my life that if I don't ask for help, whew, it's going to turn my piece into pieces. But also, if I don't have a place to cast it or send it, I'm going to let it reside in me. And I'm watching it. I'm watching it affect young people because they haven't been taught how to cast those cares upon the one who actually cares for us. And I'm watching young people just feel that pressure and they're splintering and they're fracturing. I mean, the number of suicidal thoughts, a number of people who have attempted suicide in her country, and this isn't just young people. I mean, you think about last year, Kate Spade, Anthony Bourdain. This is highly successful people. And literally, for many of us, we've just never learned how to be honest and human with our struggle. And there's a stigma. Stigma on mental illness. There's a stigma on just being human and saying, I need help. And here in the church, we've got to be the ones who can wave that white flag and surrender and say, my marriage is struggling. I have this struggle with this addiction. Porn or finances are just rocking my life. I have codependency tendencies. I'm swimming in a sea of gray, and I don't know if I'm going to go another day. And when we try to handle all of that, our shoulders, we were never meant to carry that. So what are you allowing to land in your brain? And do you believe when you have the humility of the mind, you can cast that truly on the one who is with you and for you and the one who cares for you, and that's God? Second verse that we'll see is this. Peter then adds, he just says, be alert and of sober mind. And, and when you think of us sober mind, it means being present, focused, grounded, centered. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And, and here's what I want you to see, is that there is a humility of the heart, there's a humility of the mind, but I want you to also know there's a humility of the soul. There's a humility of the soul. And I love this passage and most of us, we don't want to ever talk about it, but the truth is, there is an enemy that does not want you to live in peace. There is an enemy who thrives on you living in pieces. And this word enemy and devil, it's literally these two words, anti-dikos, and it means against righteousness. And this concept is that there is a force in this world that doesn't want you to live in a right fashion in a right manner, in a right way. 
It doesn't want you to live in a way where you would flourish and thrive. It actually wants you to spiral. It wants you to be anxious. It wants you to be overwhelmed. And he's constantly looking to devour marriages, businesses, people, hearts, souls. And I, and I just been thinking about this. So for many of us, when we don't have the humility of a heart or humility of mind, we just feel like I gotta do it all on my own. And what I've begun to realize is the humility of the soul is the first step every person must take if they wanna live a, a life of humility. It's by them saying, I have to surrender to the reality that I am the God of my life. I mean, when you have, and you watch and a couple times a year when Northridge does baptisms, you get to watch people who come forward and they're publicly proclaiming, I am not gonna be on the fence anymore. I am surrendering my life to a Lord and to a Savior. And I actually don't want the anti-decos to win anymore in my life. I want to be about right living. And when someone can have that in their soul, all of a sudden, everything else in their heart and their mind can be starting to be put in place. I, I watch this. I watch this when people raise their hands or I watch this when people text in 313131 to Northridge and they, and they say, I literally want to make a decision for Christ. By doing that, that is humility of the soul. You were literally saying in Carrie Underwood theology, Jesus, take the wheel of my life. Move me out of the driver's seat. And when you do that, oh, you get to enter into all that heaven has for you. I just want to ask you, have you made that decision? Have you made that decision? Thank you for your stone. Yes, yes. The humility to actually make that decision. And when you have that humility of the soul, man, everything falls into place. But then I started thinking more about this. I started thinking about this church. And I started thinking, man, if I've got the humility of the soul, then what about the humility of the mind? And I, I started thinking for the decision time, maybe for some of us, we just have to show the humility and start to say, there's this area in my life that's just out of alignment with the way of Jesus. And I need help. And after the service, we're gonna have a prayer team up front. We'd love to pray with you. I'll stay down front. I prayed with people last night. I will pray with you. I want you to understand the humility of the mind. Cast those cares on him, because he cares for you. And literally, last one, maybe there's humility of heart. Maybe there's a relationship where you have just had cement and there is a wall up between you and this person. Maybe the humility is for you to return back to putting on that apron and saying, God, teach me how to love, teach me how to forgive, teach me how to serve. What and where do you need humility today? Of the soul, of the mind, of the heart. And if you can step into this, I guarantee you, you will be stronger as a disciple of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for closing prayer. Let's do this. Let's put our hands out just for a blessing. And, and literally, if you ask why I do this, it's because sometimes I need my posture to lead my heart. I'm used to climbing. I'm used to achieving. But in grace, you can't achieve it 
All you can do is receive it. And so I just want you to hear this and I want you to think about this. This is my prayer for you. My brothers and sisters of Northridge Church, may you be stronger. May you be the kind of people who can forgive quickly. May you be the kind of people who are fierce with that Rakshazak courage. And may you be the kind of person whose heart can cultivate the things of God because it's like humble. May you cast all of the cares and anxious worries onto the one who is with you and for you. And may every single one of us get our souls right with God and receive grace that is available to us all. I hope you have a blessed, blessed week. We'll be down front if you need prayer. Grace and peace. Your breath.